How do we convince communities of color to receive the COVID vaccine? And how do we address issues of racism in nursing and healthcare? Let's talk all about it with Dr. Ernest Grant, the president of the American Nurses Association, right here on episode 309 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm still bringing you my monthly pandemic updates at the end of every month. Meanwhile, this podcast continues to be all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or maybe even years. I thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And remember that Nurse Keith Coaching is your destination for all things related to your career. I offer individualized, holistic career coaching for nurses and healthcare professionals. So shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com. We can have a complimentary chat. And if you want to do some coaching, you can get 10% off your first coaching package by mentioning hearing Dr. Grant here on the show. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 309. And as I mentioned today, we're welcoming friend of the pod and friend of the nursing profession, Dr. Ernest Grant the president of the American Nurses Association. And Dr. Grant, it is such an honor to have you back on the show for the second time. And I want to just start, let's just jump right into the fire. So no pun intended, in terms given of commu- my background, right? No, no pun intended. <laughs> Great. You're a fire and burn specialist. So there you go. Yes. Nice one. <laughs> so let's just jump right into it. Let's skip mm-hmm. the frying pan. So We know that communities of color are being hit really hard by the pandemic, and we will, we're going to talk about that. But in terms of the vaccine, how do we start to convince communities of color to line up, roll up their sleeve and get this vaccine? Well, that's a a very good question, uh, Keith. Um, I I think the, uh, the first thing we have to do is look at what is the hesitancy that uh, people in the black and brown community may have about taking the vaccine? Uh, obviously, we mm-hmm. have all heard that, uh, you know, the concern that, well, it was developed too fast or uh, maybe it wasn't uh, tested enough on black and brown individuals. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I think, obviously, the um, the distrust goes even further than that when you stop and uh, think about the fact that, uh, Black and brown people have a long history of distrust with healthcare, uh, particularly, you know, uh, I guess the most recent being, you know, obviously the Tuskegee experiment, uh, the Henry L. Lacks experiments, but there was also experiments done on slaves, uh, you know, particularly slave women, you know, to tolerate their, you mm-hmm. know, check their pain tolerance, uh, you know, things of, of this sort. So, I guess to, to overall answer your question is that first we need to acknowledge that that happened um, and then move forward from that as well um, you know because to to disavow it uh, means that uh, again you're not going to win the trust of the black and brown community um, the the way that I propose to approach this is to acknowledge it but then also you know in the case of the of the Tuskegee experiment point out 
the good that has come out as a result of that. You know, because of the Tuskegee experiment now, we have um, rules and regulations that are put in place. You know, we have the institution review boards. We have the guidelines that, you know, that govern um, what you can and cannot do when you're doing research on, uh, you know, human subjects and et cetera, that wasn't there before. And because of that, uh, you know, you have the oversight of, you know, the federal government and other offices and et cetera. Uh, you know, things like the Tuskegee experiment are, uh, are ensured that such things will never happen again. So, uh, you know, the mere fact that we've been able to make leaps and bounds from that uh, is a great way to do that. But as I said, we still need to acknowledge, um, you know, the individual's, you know, precepts or or uh, thinking about the uh, Tuskegee experiment and how that may play and whether or not they accept the vaccines that are available today. Right. I'm so glad you brought up Henrietta Lacks. You brought up what happened during slavery in terms of experimentation on slaves. We also brought up the Tuskegee experiment. And if anyone out there hasn't heard of it or any of those, please look them up. I'll try to get some notes in um, resources in the show notes for you. So, and even till today, we know that health outcomes for African Americans and other people of color are much poorer than those of white people and, and other groups. We know that certain, let's say, public hospitals in particular neighborhoods or cities mm-hmm. or regions don't have the wherewithal. They don't have the supplies. They don't have the resources that the hospitals that serve the wealthy and the privileged and mostly white communities around the country. And so we can go back to Tuskegee, we can go back to Henrietta Lacks and slavery, and then we pull forward, you know, zoom the camera to 2020, Mm -hmm. in 2021 actually, and we're in the same place in many ways. We have the institutional review boards and that's wonderful and that sort of stuff's not happening. But when we have, you know, toxic waste more likely to be stored or dumped in a neighborhood where you have people of color, we can see that the distrust is deep. I mean, we can we can go down into subterranean places in the psyches of communities of color to how they've been mistreated and continue to be. So when we have this vaccine that we're we're ready to give and the first person to receive it in the United States was a mm-hmm. a, a black nurse. Yeah, I forget her name, but she was the very first person in the entire country. And I think that was so symbolic and powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the strategies we can use as healthcare providers to, to instill trust in the system and then also bringing it to this, like this one moment in history right now? Well, there's a, a, a number of things that we can do. Uh, obviously the, uh, you know, the, um, Point that you just made uh, about the uh, the black nurse taking the first injection um, definitely sets a very very high mark. Um, individuals such as myself, uh, you know, being president of ANA and being an African American male, in case your <laughs> your audience did not know, right. uh, you know, participating in the uh, the clinical trials, um, you know, says a lot. Um, I know that. Other prominent uh, African American physicians uh, at the four uh, major 
historic black medical schools, mm -hmm. you know, their participation, um, having um, uh, leaders in the community, in the uh, the black community to, uh, you know, to actually take the injections as well. Mm -hmm. That that too goes a very, very long way. So that's one example. I, I think the other thing is to sit down and actually have the conversation with the individuals as to what it, what is it that is making you uh, have apprehension or hesitancy. You know, how can we answer, you know, the questions that you may have? And usually, I think once the individual realize if they get correct information from a trusted source, and by trusted, I mean either their healthcare provider, uh, their, uh, you know, physician, nurse practitioner, maybe their uh, their religious leader, you know, if they are that well-versed sure. or, or whatever. Sure. Uh, but they have to be very leery of, you know, various websites that may uh, purport this or purport that because, you know, you are going to have people who are going to take that information and just by the sheer nature of their wanting to either sow uh, seeds of, uh, of hatred or mm -hmm. of distrust and et cetera, you know, they're going to be the ones who are probably going to, you know, more people are going to latch on to because of the, the wild theories that they can come up with, Absolutely. Uh, you know, that people are going to feed into because we all probably have, can identify maybe with uh, one of the, the uh, seeds that they are sowing. So therefore, uh, you know, it's very easy to believe that. So I always, uh, you know, try to inform people, get your information from a trusted source. Ask someone such as myself who have participated in a clinical trial, what was it like? You know, what were your, uh, you know, what experiences did you have? And have you had any side effects, uh, you know, since you've had your second injection? You know, that type thing will go a very, very long way to alleviating their concerns. Mm. Um, and of course, the mere fact that they trust their uh, religious leader. And uh, I think probably the last thing is, uh, you know, where these, uh, you know, the vaccine clinics may be held, you know, if they're held, you know, they should be, you know, held in communities of color where there could be easy access. And, um, you know, that uh, people can get there perhaps without having to take two or three buses to, you know, to, exactly. to get to the site yes. or, um, you know, or, or hold it longer than, say, eight in the morning till four in the afternoon when someone has to work and they don't get off work till six, seven o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Consider hosting a, a clinic that runs till nine, ten o'clock at night so that that person can go to work, come home have dinner, you know, and then still, you know, realize that they can go and get vaccinated, come back home and go back to work the next day. Great point. So you're addressing issues of socioeconomics, you're addressing issues of of faith and the way that faith communities can be very important, faith leaders in uh, communities of color. Uh, we also have, you're addressing issues of transportation, which falls under mm -hmm. socioeconomics. Mm -hmm. And you know, and access. I mean, this all comes down to access and education. So I just wanted to back up a second. So you were involved in a clinical trial for the development of the mRNA vaccine? Yes, I was. I um, I uh, actually had been thinking about it a couple of days before I got a phone call from a physician friend of mine uh, asking me if I wanted to participate. And I saw his phone call as... Um, you know, just sheer fate that, okay, yes, you, <laughs> you, you definitely do need to do this. Uh, and I wanted to do it for two reasons. Um, one, 
because I knew that there was a need for more black and brown participants, uh, you know, in the uh, the trial. And the particular trial that I was in was a Moderna uh, trial here at the. Uh, uh, I'm held, uh, based in North Carolina, is my home, so uh, it was at the University of North Carolina. Uh-huh. You know, at Chapel Hill, so it was just four miles up the road uh, where I used to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the other reason that I wanted to do it as well was recognizing that I am the leader of the 4.3 million registered nurses in the uh, the country. I wanted to um, you know do my part for those who are on the front line uh, to let them know in solid you know that I'm with them in solidarity and and I hopefully would uh, that they would uh, recognize that. Hey, if the leader of our national organization is willing to go into a clinical trial, not knowing if he's going to get the placebo or if he's going to get the real vaccine, and this is before we even knew that much about the vaccines, um, you know, if he's willing to essentially put his life on the line um, and have good results, then that would alleviate any questions or concerns or hesitancy that nurses may have. And also, again, those in the black and brown community as well. Mm. If, uh, you know, because again, I can uh, rely on my experience to, uh, you know, to help explain to them how easy it was and that there was, you know, well, in my case, really no uh, or little side effects. I mean, it was what we expected, which was Nothing with the, uh, the the first injection. With the second injection, probably about six hours after I had gotten that, I um, had extreme fatigue mm-hmm. and um, and chills, and that lasted for about fourteen hours or so. Uh, but I was still able to you know to do my work from home. Uh, I was not incapacitated at uh, at any time. And uh, since then, and of course that uh, I got my second injection on October fifth. Uh, my birthday is October 6th, so I spent all my birthday <laughs> having chills <laughs> and fatigue. Um, but since then, uh, I have not had any side effects or anything else. And I continue to participate in that study. Um, you know, every uh, two or three weeks, I have to answer a bunch of questions that come up on my phone. And about every uh, two months or so, I have to go into the clinic and actually uh, give blood so that they can, uh, again, check the, uh-huh. um, you know, the um, antibody levels yeah. and et cetera. Well, thank you for doing that. And you mentioned that the presidents of four historically black medical schools also took part, which is wonderful. And so when mm-hmm. it was unblinded, you found out that you had actually received the vaccine. That you probably knew when you had the side effects. Yes, mine. Well, I already knew, yeah, when you have the uh, the side effects. But uh, uh, mine was actually just unblinded about uh, three weeks ago. Oh, really? Okay. And I was given the choice, uh, since I did receive the vaccine, I was given the choice to either drop out of the study or I could remain in the study for the full two years. And I chose to remain in the study because, uh, again, I feel it's extremely important that we have the data to answer the questions that, uh, you know, that may be out there, you know, what are the long-term, you know, uh, uh, side effects or the, or the long-term issues, I guess I should say, that may be associated with this, um, you know, the, uh, the vaccines. And Absolutely. so far, you know, and of course, keep in mind that uh, there have been people who have had these vaccines for a little over a year because they started phase one of these vaccines back in March of last year. So, mm-hmm. uh, so the few humans who, who got that then, uh, we already know that uh, it's been effective for a little over a year and, you know, and, and that's good. So we'll just continue to add to the data and the, uh, 
the profile. Great, great. Thank you for your service in that in that regard. So let's let's talk about you know if we want to convince communities of color to take the vaccine and to feel trusting enough to do so. If I'm a nurse out there, you know, in a position to educate communities of color at a clinic, at a hospital, in my community, at my church, whatever it happens to be, and whether I'm a white nurse, a black nurse, an Asian nurse, if I have that opening and people come to me with some of the common questions and concerns. One, it was developed too quickly. And I I have my own opinions and I've done my studying about that, but I want to hear what you Mm -hmm. have to say. It was developed too quickly. Um, I don't trust the medical system. No people of color were involved in the clinical studies. They only did it on white people. How are the, what are the ways in which I as a nurse can succinctly and clearly educate a person who's questioning so that they can feel more informed and maybe use a little mm-hmm. more due diligence to, mm-hmm. to make their decision? What do I do? That's a really great question. And I think the very first thing that the nurse should do is educate him or herself regarding these vaccines and what needs to be done and how these vaccines are different from when you hear the word vaccine as a nurse. We normally think of, oh, well, it contains a live or an attenuated form of the virus that is there. Uh, The mRNA vaccines do not have any live virus whatsoever. So there's, it's impossible for anyone to get COVID from the mRNA vaccines. Mm -hmm. The other thing that uh, the nurse would need to know is that the, um, uh, using the mRNA approach has been around for probably about 15, 20 years or so. So it's not that it's it's new. I think it is, um, uh, it's newly written about in science, if you will, but it is, um, you know, it has been used with the uh, Ebola, um, you know, crisis, um, mm-hmm. SARS-1, when that yes. came through. And of course, SARS-1 was sort of a pandemic, but it did not really you know, hit the United States or, or globally, you know, so, you know, it's one of those out of sight, out of mind type things. So people really didn't, uh, you know, quite understand what was going on. So that would be the first thing is that I would encourage the nurse, first of all, to educate him or herself, you know, uh, very well. And again, from trusted sources about the vaccine, how it works and, you know, things of, of this sort. The second thing that I would do too, is try to address their concerns when they say, well, it was developed too fast. Uh, the thing that uh, we have to also think about, we're living in the 21st century, okay? Mm-hmm. So that means technology has really uh, grown by leaps and bounds compared to, you know, the 60s to 70s or so when it probably did take three or four years or so to produce a new vaccine. Um, you know, so the mere fact that we're able to use technology uh, to because we knew about the uh, you know the uh, the phenotype of the virus in January uh, you know that was right. so that was that was a huge leap there just uh, you know just getting that information and the fact that it was shared you know uh, across all the you know the the experts globally uh, around the world it, it wasn't like one person is just holding on to this piece of information and that's it it was shared because again they realized the importance of having more people work on it in different uh, 
from different angles uh, in different uh, countries and et cetera, you know, hopefully we'll be able to find a, you know, the, the magic bullet, if you will, that would uh, bring success. And, and apparently uh, they did. So, um, you know, that's one thing. The other is we know that it takes money to, uh, you know, to produce a vaccine. And the fact that you had uh, governments, you know, uh, uh, supporting the pharmaceutical companies and saying, yeah. we'll give you the money that you need to, you know, to make this investment. So you don't have to worry about cutting corners here or there. Right. Billions of dollars. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Billions of dollars. So, so yes, the companies, the, the uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies, you know, are, are setting pretty, but you also have to look at, you know, weigh that against the potential huge loss of life, uh, not only just in the United States, but globally. So yes. I, I think it's, it's very well worth that. The other component, I think, is uh, when it looks at, uh, at volunteers. Under normal circumstances, if it is a new drug that is coming on the market, yes, sometimes the reason it takes so long for that uh, drug to be approved is that you have to get a certain amount of volunteers to take the drug at each of the, the different phases of the clinical trials to before you can finally go to the FDA and say, hey, we think we have a drug that will will work. In this case, you had literally hundreds of thousands of people who were willing to be volunteers. So as a result of that, you didn't have to wait that three years or so that we oh, normally see point. with other uh, you know with other drugs that are being developed. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, send them, uh, you know, uh, go to the clinical sites of Pfizer and Moderna, and you can get a breakdown of, uh, you know, how many people of uh, uh, the various ethnicities did participate. I know for uh, uh, for Blacks, there was about, uh, well, for the Moderna trial, which I was in, uh, they had 33,000 participants, and about 10% of the uh, participants in the Moderna trial were hmm. African Americans, which is about the same as it is with any other drug that they are, are, are doing. Right. And African Americans are about fourteen to fifteen percent of the population, so that's pretty close. It's pretty close. close, absolutely. And th the thing about that is, you know, letting them know that uh, you know uh, a drug manufacturer would be stupid <laughs> to mm. say, okay, we're just going to try this on, on white people only, and and that's it. Uh, you know, you talk about feeding the theory there. Mm -hmm. You know, that is definitely it. So I, I think people need to know that. Uh, there is a strong need for um, black, brown, and other minorities to participate in clinical trials. And uh, besides this one, but uh, you know, with any medication that is um, coming on the, the, the market, it's important that they have multi-ethnic uh, participants because you do want to know how is this drug going to be effective when it's given to this population versus another population so that you know, if things need to be tweeted or whatever, I mean, there's some blood pressure medications out there that we know works very well in Caucasians that does not work well in African-Americans. So, That's true. And how do they get that information? Through clinical trials, study. through people participating. So, uh, and th the last thing that I would say is uh, I always uh, like to challenge people in, in a way when they uh, throw up the, the hesitancy about that, that it was developed too fast and et cetera, or that there were no, um, no minorities that participated. Uh, you know, I asked them, 
do you take a medication now? And, mm-hmm. you know, some uh, prescribed meds. And most of the time they're going to say yes. And if they say no, then I'll say, well, have you ever taken Tylenol or aspirin for a headache? Mm-hmm. And they'll say yes. And I said, well, you know, that Tylenol, that aspirin, that prescribed medication that you took, it went through the exact same process that these vaccines went through. The mm-hmm. clinical trials, it went through the evaluation by the FDA and other um, uh, uh, manufacturers. And actually, in this case, uh, with the uh, the vaccines, um, the drug companies, you know, had no idea what was going on. So, you know, the, the fact that they were kept in the dark, there was not like there's an incentive for them to cheat because they couldn't know what was, you know, what was going on. So if anything, that's one of the things that made me feel very secure about um, uh, taking, uh, you know, volunteering, but also once the uh, the vaccines were proven, were proven to be effective and et cetera. Uh, and as I try to persuade people to, uh, you know, to take the vaccine, mm-hmm. the mere fact that the pharmaceutical companies had no way to manipulate the data or whatever, because they didn't have it, um, you know, that uh, provides even more evidence that, uh, you know, uh, the scrutiny that these um vaccines were under <laughs> and yeah. believe me they, they were examined under a lot, <laughs> a lot more mm-hmm. so than the average medication would be uh, that alone should um, rest any concerns that uh, anyone may have uh, about that and i realized that was a long answer i, I apologize but <laughs> no that was a great answer thank you for breaking that down because we all need to be we need the example of how am i going to do this and what are the main points i want to make and I'll try to remember to get some some links and resources in the show notes. I have a great graphic and article from the New York Times that shows exactly how messenger RNA works. And, and then there's also a podcast from Dr. Sanjay Gupta mm-hmm. from his Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction podcast that I resource, I use as a resource a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he discussed the architecture of the messenger RNA um technology that has Mm -hmm. been around for many years, Mm -hmm. like you said. And it's actually a fairly, quote unquote, simple process to insert new genomic data for a new virus and then create a new vaccine. It's not like they're creating these huge vats of vaccine and studying them. It's a very different process. And And if if I may add one other thing, I'm sorry, it just dawned on me that, uh, you know, the, the real topper to all this as well, particularly for folks in the uh, the black and brown community, one of the major scientists who worked on this is an African American mm-hmm. woman. Uh, you know, oh. so I mean, what what better uh, you know evidence do you need that uh, you know it was one of our own uh, you know who mm-hmm. was involved in in uh, creating these vaccines? Yeah. Now we before we take a break, I just want to mention that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine mm-hmm. we we got good. Clinical uh, phase two clinical mm-hmm. trial data. The phase three data is due any moment. It might be out by the time this podcast is published. And that one is, it uses a, an attenuated adenovirus mm-hmm. um, architecture. Mm-hmm. So it's not, a, it's not a coronavirus, it's an adenovirus, and it's not messenger RNA. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different. And there's some DNA involved in there. And, and the thing is that when people hear RNA, they hear DNA, mm-hmm. they think, oh, this is going to alter my DNA. And I think that's something else nurses need to understand is that it cannot alter 
a person's DNA. Absolutely. <laughs> and we need to understand Absolutely. how to explain that, yeah. correct? Absolutely. And, um, you know, again, I, I think as nurses, we have a little better than average um, comprehension, if you will, of um, you know, viruses, vaccines, and, you know, RNA versus DNA. So uh, if we need to take a refresher course <laughs> and understand that yes, RNA does do. this, DNA does that, and, you know, the twains do not meet, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, is uh, it's very crucial. That goes back to, again, my comment of it's important that nurses um, get the information themselves from a trusted source, that they fully understand how the mRNA vaccines work and that it is impossible that it would alter the person's DNA and that those rumors that are flying out there, again, perhaps that is just someone who don't want you as a minority to get that vaccine so that, you know, who knows, maybe you can get sick and, you know, and knowing that uh, black and brown people have a disproportionately higher, uh, you know, death rate, um, you know, when, Mm -hmm. uh, if they uh, contract COVID, um, you know, who knows what, uh, you know, what kind of uh, theory right. could be there. The nefariousness yes. behind behind those rumors. And yeah, exactly. So we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your history and your expertise in burns and fire. Uh, speaking of jumping <laughs> into the fire. And then I want to talk about um, the, the um, Nurses Everywhere project that you're involved in and also talk about racism in nursing and how that's being addressed by the ANA. So we'll be right back with episode 309 of the Nurse Keith Show with Dr. Ernest Grant, the president of the American Nurses Association. So now we're gonna take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember the show notes where you can learn all about Dr. Grant and what they're doing at the ANA around these issues of getting communities of color to 
receive the vaccine and trust what's going on in the public health community, that will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 309. And I'll also have resources for you if you want to educate yourself about how messenger RNA technology works. I'll have some information about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that's coming out hopefully soon and some other resources for you. So again, we're here with friend of the pod and friend of the nursing profession, Dr. Ernest Grant, the president of the American Nurses Association. And Dr. Grant, you have a really fascinating history and you are truly a national, if not international expert on fire safety and burn care. So I just want to spend a couple minutes just to to dig into how, how did this come about and how did you choose burn care and fire safety as an area of expertise and, and knowledge? Um, well, it, w- it certainly wasn't because I was a, uh, a pyro when, <laughs> when I was okay. uh, a little kid. Um, no, the um, particular uh, burn center that I worked at, it's called the, uh, the North Carolina JC Burn Center at the University of North Carolina Hospitals. And the, the JCs is a civic organization, pretty much like the Lions Club or the, the Rotary Club. Oh, and, yes, um, right. you know, so the, the North Carolina JCs, you know, more or less helped to support the, uh, the, the Burn Center. And I was a member of the JCs. So um, the um, Burns was actually my. Uh, I guess my second career in nursing, you know, because prior to that, I'm originally from the mountains of North Carolina in the Asheville area, and I had worked at a uh, hospital there, and uh, in the uh, the ICU. But I moved to this area to complete my uh, my baccalaureate degree and uh, mm-hmm. and subsequent degrees. And uh, at the time, I was an LPN, and the only place that uh, you know I had a lot of extensive ICU experience. And the burn center was the only place that uh, still used LPNs in the uh, the ICU. So I figured, okay, well, what better place to to work at than an organization that I'm a member of? You know, we um, you know uh, uh, did funds to or you know had fundraisers to you know help support the burn center, and plus I was only going to be there for about two years while I completed my bachelor's degree, and then had planned to move back to the the mountains. Um, well, probably about six months <laughs> into working at the burn center, I realized this is my calling. Uh, this is where I make a, uh, I feel that I make a difference every day in someone's life. And, um, you know, 30, what was it? 36 and a half years later, uh, when I finally retired, um, yeah, it truly was my, uh, truly was my calling. I can truly say that I never, um, regretted, uh, you know, the, the work that I did and every day I could come home. Uh, with the feeling that I did make a difference in someone's life, uh, no matter how small. So it was that that uh, you know sort of kept me going. That's fantastic. And you have you have your BSN from North Carolina Central University. Mm-hmm. You have your MSN and PhD from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, mm-hmm. and you're an adjunct faculty for UNC Chapel Hill mm-hmm. School of Nursing, mm-hmm. where you still work with undergraduate and graduate students in the classroom and clinical settings, and you're the president of the American Nurses mm-hmm. Association, and you're the first male and first black male mm-hmm. president of the ANA. So you've, you've done a couple things in your career. Um, <laughs> Lots of firsts. You know, you've, yeah, you've a lot of firsts and you are, you know, you're the past chair of the National Fire Protection Association, mm-hmm. Board of Directors, mm-hmm. the American Burn Association, Vice President of the Board of Trustees. And you, you speak 
frequently. You recently actually spoke um, remotely to students at our Capital Challenge here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, for the New Mexico Nurses Association. Yes, for, just last so week. So thank you for thanks for being thank you. being here in Santa Fe. Thank you. Um, I wasn't able to listen in, but I I have the recording. Mm. So anyway, that's your that's your history. So you're bringing a lot to the table as the president of the ANA. As, as an African-American, as a man, as a nurse who started out as an LPN. And so you've, 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 um, you've done all the things that one would do to get to a, an elevated status such as yours. And it's an honor to have you on the show again. So in the first half, we were talking about how do we convince communities of color? How do we educate them to receive the vaccine? And I know you also want to discuss the issue of the commission to address racism in nursing. Mm -hmm. And obviously, George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement, 2020 was sort of a a watershed moment Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. It feels like something really changed fundamentally in this country. Racism didn't change, Mm -hmm. but some awareness, there was a shift. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the commission to address racism in nursing and is there a way for us rank and file members of the ANA to potentially get involved somehow absolutely and first of all you don't have to be a rank and file member of the ANA any nurse uh, you know whether they are a member nurse. of ANA or not uh, you know we welcome their participation uh, but the commission came about as a result of well first of all you know when we witness that, that horrible incident of uh, George Floyd's death, um, you know, the ANA board um, uh, said we need to do something. And uh, we did put out a, uh, you know, social justice statement uh, regarding that. Uh, but we said we need to do more because we're seeing, you know, racism also within the nursing profession and, and what can we do? So um, we came up with the idea to uh, to create this commission to address racism uh, in nursing and recognizing that this is something that the ANA cannot do alone. Uh, because first, let me, let me first acknowledge that the ANA itself has this history of racism. Um, you know, when uh, blacks and other minorities were not allowed to become members of the ANA. And so I, I think you have to uh, address you know, clean your own house before you try to clean someone else's. Yes. And one of the things that I said at our very first meeting of the commission is that, you know, when our end product uh, comes out, uh, you know, I will state it now, but also when our end product comes out, um, you know, there needs to be acknowledgement from the ANA and uh, other nursing organizations as well, because mm-hmm. we're not alone, um, mm-hmm. you know, that have practiced uh, discrimination and, and racism in the past. Uh, I just think it's odd that the you know the president of the ANA who happens to be black now is apologizing for yes, <laughs> but, but that's uh, that, that's a whole nother, another that's another thing another conversation. To, yes, that's another conversation. But with the creation of this commission, we have invited all the minority nursing organizations that would like to participate. That is the National Black Nurses, the Hispanic Nurses, NSEMA, which is the um, 
the Association of Ethnic and Minority Nurses, which includes mm. uh, the uh, the Filipino Nurses Association, the Asian Pacific Islanders, uh, Native uh, Alaskan American uh, Indians. Um, and then we also brought in other nursing organizations, such as the Association of Organization of, of Nurse Leaders, uh, the National uh, NLN, um, the um, and, you know, there's see, there's Chi to Phi. There's the Association of uh, Colleges of Nursing. You know, all these uh, you know areas in which nursing may participate. Uh, we have brought them to the table as well. So we have a Great. commission of about 34 individuals. Um, and uh, you know, one of the big questions that we tackled with, and uh, again to show ANA's intent on uh, collaboration. Um, uh, we have four co-chairs. It's myself representing ANA, mm -hmm. the president of the National Black Nurses Association, Dr. Martha Dawson. Uh, then we have uh, Delena uh, Vasquez, who is the uh, Hispanic nurses representative, and then Dr. Deborah Tony, who's representing NSEMA. So each of us, uh, you know, we co-chair the commission and we make joint decisions. So, and as I stated to them, I did not want this to be seen as ANAs only. It is all of us working together to uh, produce the, uh, the document. Mm -hmm. uh, the document that we're hoping to produce, because we wanted something that's going to have some teeth and that would be easily adopted because we could put out all the white papers, put out all the suggestions, which a lot of people are doing in the, the DEI workspace, if you will. Yes. Uh, but, you know, whether or not someone you know accepts it or uh, or or sees this as yeah this is a great document or whatever or maybe what so and so's did is even better uh, we wanted a document that's going to have some teeth so we're fashioning it on the scope and standards of practice model of ANA and the reason we chose that is that it goes across um, you know several areas it addresses education it addresses research it addresses practice it addresses um, you know uh, administration or leadership and etc so uh, with the idea being that organizations like the NLN the Joint Commission uh, mm -hmm. ANCC when they go to either do an accreditation visit or to to uh, credential a hospital or something like that if we've got these standards and a hospital has adopted them, they uh, or or they can say you need to adopt these standards mm -hmm. and apply those to your workplace. So that's going to cause a hospital if they know that the joint commission is coming in for a survey, and the joint commission is saying we need to have looked at our policies and see where there may be discriminatory practice, and we've made that correction. Then uh, you know that will become part of uh, you know a crucial part of that survey. So that's how we're going to get some teeth into this. Same thing with uh, with education, uh, calling upon uh, publishers of nursing textbooks to stop creating stereotypes, if you will, of mm -hmm. uh, you know of various ethnicities, but you know tell it like it is, so that when students get ready to go for the NCLEX exam, they don't automatically think, oh, well, this person, uh, you know, they're an African American, they're suffering from uh, you know sickle cell, they're in a crisis. Uh, but the book says that, uh, well, you know, because they say they're in pain, they may not necessarily be in pain. You know, mm -hmm. you're not, you're not exhibiting what I see as pain. I.e., you're not doubling over. You're not, you know, screaming and hollering and whatever else. Well, they need to understand that someone with sickle cell, you know, first of all, we are, we're all taught pain is what the patient says it is. Yes, and then course. also people who have these chronic illnesses 
they deal with pain in different ways. So just because I'm not screaming and hollering doesn't mean that I'm not in pain uh, mm-hmm. or that I say my pain scale is uh, on a scale of one to 10, it's a 10, but I'm sitting here talking to you like this. You know, you shouldn't have that doubt or disbelief, you know, yeah. about that. And you're uh, saying there can be discrimination right. based on stereotypes that are filtered through, through nursing textbooks. education, textbooks, right. resources, mm-hmm. films, um, whatever it is that the nurses are being instructed Absolutely. in. Absolutely. So if we can get, so if we can get, uh, you know, uh, uh, textbooks or publishers of textbooks to, you know, to to change this or whatever, subsequently that's going to drive the change on the NCLEX because you know the NCLEX now. Uh, it doesn't. Well, I don't know when you became an RN, but for 1996. me, nineteen ninety six. Okay, yeah. so so it's probably you were one of the first ones I think who may have taken the the uh, the, the board exam that was computerized. I, I was probably back yes. in back in my day. It was two days of testing <laughs> yeah. at the at the state capitol, and uh, so you didn't necessarily have a lot of um, scenarios like what they do today. So, um, you know, so students are thought to, you know, to think about this scenario, but if we can change the, uh, you know, the, the way the textbooks uh, publishers are, are doing this and mm. et cetera, it puts a whole different uh, spin on things. And and when you say, when you say teeth, so these are going to be changes. They're not going to be recommendations. They're not going to be suggestions. This is actually going to be integrated in with joint commission standards. We are hoping that they will You're adopt those. That, yes, okay, yeah. In, so, in the past, in the past, they have uh, adopted these. So, um, you know, uh, adopted our other scope and standards of practice. I see. So we're hoping that based on the same model, they will do the same thing. Now, you and I are recording this in January, late January 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode's coming out in February. When do you feel that this document that you're talking about will actually see the light of day and we can actually read it? Is it going to be a year, two years? Is there going to be sort of like preprints where we can see what's happening mm-hmm. along the way? Um, we anticipate, uh, and again, to, to show the board's commitment, uh, we are anticipating that this will be an ongoing project. Mm-hmm. We probably will not have scope and standards of practice until next year. But in the okay. meantime, we will be having a number of white papers being produced. We will be hosting listening uh, opportunities across the uh, the, the country. Mm. Uh, people who may belong to some of the nursing organizations that I mentioned, you know, the uh, National Black Nurses, the Hispanic Nurses, mm-hmm. Asian Pacific Islanders or whatever. What is planned is when they have their annual meetings, we will have the opportunity to have town halls to, you know, to hear what people have to say. You know, what racism have, have they faced um, that, uh, you know, that they would like for, for us to know about. So when, as we're developing this document, we can incorporate in there. And so we will have different work groups, like there will be a work group who's working exclusively on education. There's another work group that will work exclusively with research, another one that will work with policy, another one that will work with practice, another one that will work with, uh, you know, educa- uh, excuse me, uh, administration or leadership. Sure, sure. So uh, again, we're encompassing all that. And eventually, yes, I anticipate that probably maybe uh, this time next year, we may have a, uh, a document that is available for public comment. And again, that's another thing is that it's going to be put out there for people to say, oh, you didn't address this or you didn't address that or, you know, uh, or maybe this wasn't covered enough or, or whatever. So uh, 
this is a, a very historical uh, moment in time. I mean, never have all these nursing organizations come together to uh, address a very critical issue. Right. And we anticipate that this will be ongoing, um, you know, somewhat like the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the major document of uh, what was it, 2010, the future of nursing, oh, the and how that has medicine. come out. Yes, mm -hmm. and so it's going to be somewhat similar to to that, and that uh, we're going to have to continue to yeah. make adjustments and et cetera. But but the mere fact that you're bringing in all different nationalities, I mean, you know, uh, uh, like uh, Asian, um, you know, uh, Native American, um, you know, uh, uh, Indian as in, you know, Asian uh, uh, Indians and et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is really historic. Um, so it isn't just a, you know, uh, you know African-American and Hispanic, uh, mm -hmm. you know, driven thing. We are getting everyone, you know, that, yes. uh, to, to come in. And it doesn't sound like a Band-Aid. It sounds like this is a systemic um, house cleaning as you, to use your metaphor, to, to really address some of these issues at the core, mm -hmm. to get input from many, many different aspects mm -hmm. of the nursing profession, mm -hmm. from educators to clinicians mm -hmm. to researchers, from mm -hmm. rank and file nurses, yeah. and to be able to really address what people experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And you and I recently spoke um, just offline. We were We had a conversation that there are some out there who say that, you know, the preponderance of nurses are white and most of them are Trump were Trump voters. And, you know, there's, there's rampant racism that's never been addressed. And it, it feels like there's, there's this real movement with what you're talking about mm -hmm. to get at the systemic issues, just as we're trying to address them at the federal level, you know, through the government, through civic organizations and through the Black Lives Matter movement, which, Absolutely. you know, took off in 2020. Absolutely. And I, I would hope that, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, th there may be people of, of color who, you know, may serve as distractors, you know, for this, mm -hmm. but I would hope that they would see that this is a start, uh, you know, the, the first start on a journey starts with the first step. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned to, you know, at the, at the very first commission meeting, there are going to be times when uh, a lot of the white commission members or, or people who are participating may feel uncomfortable. And there are times when, you know, the black participants are going to feel uncomfortable as well. But mm -hmm. it's something that we have to go through to get to the other side to say, you know, Absolutely. we've gone through that now, you know, what can we do moving forward? So I would hope that, um, you know, people who uh, automatically throw up the walls, so to speak, or, mm -hmm. you know, because we've, you know, I've already have seen, you know, people saying, oh, it's too late. It's never too late. Absolutely I mean, not. when you, <laughs> when you recognize, yes, this is a problem. This is our time. This is what we need to do as nurses. If we're going to abide by the code of ethics, mm -hmm. you know, which, uh, you know, then this is the opportunity to do that. And uh, so I'm so pleased and happy that, uh, you know, that we have this undertaken uh, uh, we're undertaking this uh, this mission, and uh, cannot wait to see the uh, the final product. And nor, uh, nor can I. And I would love. I'll, I'll offline you and I'll chat about how I might get some of those leaders on the show as well, well to talk absolutely. about this over the course of 2021. And before we go, I just wanted to turn our eyes for a moment from educating communities of color about the vaccine and the commission to address racism in nursing mm -hmm. to the Nurses Everywhere campaign. Mm -hmm. your, your and my um, mutual friend, Tim Raderstorf from mm -hmm. um, Ohio State is involved. He's at the mm -hmm. innovation studio at Ohio State. So yes. 
there's some wonderful people involved. And can yeah. you encapsulate for listeners who haven't heard of it yet, what is the Nurses Everywhere campaign? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Nurses Everywhere, it's, it's a volunteer uh, nonpartisan coalition of um, you know uh, several prominent uh, leaders within nursing. Uh, actually, I think there are four past ANA presidents uh, that are on this commission. And um, what we're doing is we're uh, committed to improving health outcomes. And, and by that is we're using nurses to, um, uh, you know, to help educate the public about their rights to have access to nursing care. Um, so uh, in other words, the reason we have the title nurses everywhere because nurses are everywhere, Aren't they? Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, cause we're part of the community. So that means what happens in the community is also going to affect me as a, as a nurse, you know, with my, uh, my being there, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not only just in the acute care setting, but we're in rehab, we're in, you know, you got the school nurse, you got, uh, nurses who are in research, nurses who are in industry, nurses who are you know involved in rocket science, yeah, you know, so to speak. Owners, so, everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so it's it's all of uh, you know the the whole idea is is to get the public to understand that uh, they need nurses or need access to to nurses, and um, you know where nursing is going to go in in the future. So essentially, we're looking at what's the future of the profession post-COVID? Mm. And part of that future involves the public, uh, you know, wholeheartedly. It's the public who is going to help to determine where uh, we go as nurses. And So this uh, is a, a public relations campaign. I know um, Tim wrote me and reminded me um, that there were two country stars who created mm-hmm. a a music video, music video. Mm-hmm. specifically Absolutely. about nurses and their sacrifices and service. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about, this is about the public facing side of nursing, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what would you like to happen? Like, what would you like one outcome if, you know, nurses love outcomes. So <laughs> what <laughs> would you like to see, you know? Would you like to I, see more young people of color becoming nurses? You know, what what would be a, a a good outcome? Absolutely. Well, that's one of my goals, anyway, as president, is to uh, 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 you know that nursing should be more reflective of the people that we care for. And yes, mm-hmm. that is one of the uh, one of the goals too. Is that um, you know I want uh, you know I go to you know a couple of elementary schools, and you know and I want those black and brown boys and girls you know that are in that class to mm-hmm. you know if they say. Well, gee, if that six foot six, you know, black guy can be a nurse, why can't I? Um, you Absolutely. know, or when I go to boys and girls club and, you know, they are mostly, you know, uh, teaching STEM courses. Well, they need to understand that nursing is also a STEM course. We take the exact same courses or prerequisites that someone who's going to be a chemist or, um, you know, a rocket scientist or, you know, whatever else. So why not choose that as a, as an, an option as well? But I, I guess just to, to overall the, the, the answer to your, your question is what I would, uh, would like. Yes, is that nursing being more diversified and, um, you know, essentially representing the people that we serve. That's excellent. And when episode 314 comes out, just a few episodes after this one, I'm going to have Roosevelt Davis on, who's a former uh, high school and football football star. Mm -hmm. And he was actually on his way to the NFL, but Mm -hmm. for various reasons, chose to become a nurse. And Mm -hmm. he's a fantastic person. And I interview him on that episode. And that's going to be a really 
wonderful way for you to say, hey, look at this Look at this mm-hmm. football star yeah. who decided to work mm-hmm. with children. You know, mm-hmm. so so there's plenty of examples out there of stellar human beings and men and women of color, especially like yourself, who can serve as role models for those children out there and the young people who we want to bring into the profession. And I, I can't thank you enough for for one being, you know, being the the leader of the flagship nursing organization here in the United States and for being involved at such a deep level in addressing communities of color and their needs, um, educating the communities of color about the vaccine, and also addressing racism in nursing, which we know is a microcosm of the macrocosm. Mm-hmm. And yes. you are you're a real true you know, for me, you know, hero out there in the nursing world. And I just can't thank you enough for being on the show and blessing us with your presence one more time. Well, well, thank you very much. And I hope to, uh, uh, that you will have me back. Uh, by the way, ANA is celebrating its 125th year uh, this year. So uh, maybe you can have me back and we can talk about that. But uh, uh, I'm extremely delighted to, uh, to be here and, uh, you know, uh, wish you and your audience the best. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this wonderful episode of the Nurse Keith Show with friend of the pod, the president of the American Nurse Association, Dr. Ernest Grant. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 309. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And we will have more from Dr. Grant in the near future, as well as the campaign to the commission to address racism in nursing. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of the Health Podcast Network. It's one of the largest and fastest growing networks of podcasts out there addressing issues of health, healthcare, and wellness. Find them at healthpodcastnetwork.com. The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappy Spiesen is our social media ringmaster. I'm so grateful to Rob and Mark for being part of the Nurse Keith team and for helping keep the wheels turning in the right direction. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Dr. Ernest Grant bidding you adios from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Chapel Hill. We'll say hello to those beautiful mountains for me, Dr. Grant, and we will catch everyone on the flip side.